Alcoholics Anonymous has what they call the famous 12 steps. These steps are to help people find freedom from the bondage of alcohol. Uh, six of those steps mention God. Did you know that? Six of the steps. One of them says we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand Him. One says we admitted we were powerless over alcohol and our lives had become unmanageable. That, my friends, is my big concern, that alcohol campaign, is what it can do. We have on Friday nights a group of about 25 people meeting what's called Celebrate Recovery. It's the Christian version of AA, and they meet there because alcohol created a problem for them. And uh, there, is a, there is pain that does follow, and there is trouble. You know, for the Christian, as I've said often, the Bible doesn't prohibit us from drinking alcohol. Uh, Jesus' first miracle was turning water into, uh, what did he turn it into? Yeah, I turn water into wine. However, the Bible very much discourages drunkenness, and there's a lot of warning about alcohol abuse. And that's where my concern is because, like I said, I was worldly before I became a Christian, and I was good at being worldly. Anybody else? And I never went anywhere where I drank one or two beers. Come on. And even though you're not supposed to drink it in the car, how many know when you're with your buddies, that's the first thing. That, I mean, we all know there's a problem out there that's a little bigger than money. Well, alcohol, AA was something that was formed to help it. They said, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Well, in this series, God Is, I want to tell not only the AA folks, but everyone who this power is. The phrase they use, God, as you understand him, I want to help you understand who God is. Because how many know God is not what we hope him to be or what we imagine him to be? God is who he is. And the Bible reveals his nature and character to us. This series that I've been doing called God Is, each week we've looked at some attribute of our Heavenly Father. We talked about God as a merciful God. We talked about, secondly, he's a just judge. That if I neglect his mercy, I'll face him as my judge. We talked about God being in control or he's sovereign. And last couple of weeks, we talked about God is the creator. If your life as mine has been influenced by evolution, by, by a belief that the universe came from either a big bang or whatever the case may be, these messages you may want to go back and take a peek at. But today, I want to share a message with you that may surprise you. I want to talk about the fact that God is a jealous God. God is a jealous God. Now, you may not even know that's in the Bible, but it is. And we're going to explore that together, and I, I think it'll help you a lot. Exodus chapter 34, God is a jealous God. And by that, it means that he won't tolerate anything or anyone that competes for our affection. What God is looking for is people that have him first. Exodus 34 verse 14, you shall worship no other God. Now, the Bible teaches that there are not many gods, multiple gods. There is one God, and every other God that people would worship is a deceiver. It's a phantom. It's a myth. You shall worship no other God for the Lord. Say it with me. Who's? Isn't that interesting? One of the names of God is jealous is a jealous God. Now, what in the world does that mean? He's a jealous God. I really like this translation, the New Living Translation. It says, you must worship no other gods for the Lord whose very name is jealous is the God who is jealous about his relationship with you. And that's where our focus is today. He's jealous about his relationship with us. Uh, now, when you think about jealousy, I want you to imagine my wife is in Mexico, probably 24, 25 of them from our church, ministering there a week. 
Imagine if she got a Facebook post from someone and said, hey, I saw your husband and he has a girlfriend. What do you think would rise up in that sweet little godly Italian girl? Yeah, jealousy. Somebody's coming after my man. In other words, I have a relationship with him and I'm not sharing. And she'd come back and after she did, uh, my wife's had a little self-defense class going, but I'm a figure in this time she'd be on the offense. And after she got rid of the gal, I would be in big trouble. So if I were to disappear, you'd have to come check things out. But I have no girlfriend. But when we say jealous, think of a relationship that gets crowded. Think of a relationship that gets competition. Another translation for this verse says that God says, I want you to be completely loyal to me because I tolerate no rivals. So God doesn't want us to love anything or anyone more than we love him. Exodus chapter 20, the big uh, 10 commandments. The first two commandments have to deal with this very thing. Exodus 20 verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. Now what I'm going to show you this morning is that gods can be multiple things in our lives. They can be more things than just calves and idols and those type things. But gods can be our hobbies. It can be our passions. It can be our jobs. It can be a relationship. Idols and false gods come in many forms. Notice verse 4. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or an idol. You shall not bow down or serve them. And here's the phrase again. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. That's in the Ten Commandments. And if you continue to read the Scripture, you'd see that it's going to affect your children for three or four generations down the road when you make choices to pull your heart away from God. A couple pictures of some idols. You want to take a peek here. This is a, a, a golden ca a calf idol uh, in Egypt. In ancient Egypt, they worshipped uh, cows. They believed cows were gods. Uh, they worshipped the Nile River. Uh, of course, you remember the golden calf that uh, the Egyptians made. Uh, not the Egyptians, but the Israelites after they left Egypt. They made a, a calf in the image of gold. And under Aaron's superb leadership that failed miserably, they made a golden calf. That was in this morning's Bible reading. Now, here's some more false gods. These were called household gods. Uh, you remember when... Um, uh, Jacob's, Jacob uh, took Rachel and they left uh, daddy Laban and uh, she not only took her, her stuff but she took some of daddy's household gods. So these were images of stone. Now I don't know if in today's world there would be rabbit's foot or if perhaps I remember my grandmother used to have a little statue. She from her Catholic influence she had a little statue of somebody on her car. And that statue was going to protect her. Now, it would get its arms broken off periodically when she would put on the brakes, but she'd get her another one. Uh, when I first became a Christian, they were giving out St. Christopher medals, and I, I wanted one, and I can remember even touching that thing. I, I, I wonder how far this idea of idols go. We're going to talk about it today, but my conversation is primarily not about the stone and wood idols, but it's idols in our heart. Man-made idols. An idol now is simply whatever claims loyalty that belongs to God. Let me say it again. Whatever claims loyalty that belongs to God because God is jealous of our hearts. He didn't want to be in comp competition with anyone. Now, jealousy by, is usually viewed as a negative term. We usually think of, for example, uh, you buy your kids Christmas presents. And after your kids have opened their presents, they're going to count to make sure every kid got the same. Anybody... How many were like that when you were little? Come on, let me see your hand here. Oh, about a fourth of the church are telling the truth this morning. The rest of you were so happy when your sister got more presents than you. 
Yeah, it bothers me when I lie in church. Well, we think of jealousy as something like Saul. King Saul was jealous of David because after Goliath, he got the accolades. But there's a positive aspect of jealousy. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, New Testament. Paul said these words. He says, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. And think relationship now. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so I may present you as a pure virgin to him. Now, the connotation here is not sexual, but it is primary and exclusive. And what Paul is talking about is one day uh, you and I are going to be with Christ. You know the Bible refers to the church as the bride of Christ? Now, that's an odd thing for me as a man to think that God calls me a bride, but as a Christian, I'm a part of the bride of Christ. One day we're going to be with him forever. And what Paul's saying is, I want you to have pure devotion to God. I don't want you to have other things to get in, to pull you away. And I'll get more specific in a minute. But in this message, I, I want to make you a little uncomfortable. Uh, because I wish the Bible would just tell us exactly what an idol is and exactly what it's not. How many, idol, how many hours in my hobby is permissible and how much are idolatrous? How much money I can spend on something I want and how much is idolatrous? But it doesn't. It just talks about these things that can capture our hearts and, and draw our passion. So I'm going to pick on myself quite a bit today, but I want you to, to allow the Holy Spirit to, to, to look in the mirror at your life. Verse 3 said this, Paul said, I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your what? Pure devotion to Christ. So the temptation is, is things can get in our world. They can get in our life that pull us away from God. Now, with this background of the Old Testament and New Testament, there were figures of gods. Remember, Paul talked about sacrifices, things offered to idols. Uh, and, he, and then people would buy the meat there in the book of Corinthians. Uh, it was very much a part of their day. Uh, in the church in Ephesus, they worshipped, uh, it, was, it was probably an asteroid, a meteorite or something that had come to earth and they called it great as Diana of the Ephesians. And they built a whole temple or shrine around this idol rock. Uh, you would look throughout the pages of scripture and people worshipping all sorts of things, but uh, these things are, are, are false. They're false gods or images. Now, 1 John chapter 5, I'm going to broaden the definition of idol just a little bit as we look in this verse because my challenge is not with bricks and sticks and stones. My challenge is not with little golden calves. My challenge is with other things that I'm going to talk with you about. 1 John chapter 5, now this is interesting. An idol by definition, anything that occupies the place God deserves in our life. Now, the last verse of John's gospel, 1 John 5, normally if you read through the, the literature, the letters in the New Testament, it, they'll close with saying like, grace and peace be unto you, or the love of God be unto you, or I'll come see you soon, amen. But in John's epistle, John closes it this way, and I want you to say it with me, little children, speaking about Christians, what's it say? Keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourselves from idols. And from here we diverge from the little wooden stone things. Other translations say, be on your guard against an idol. Don't turn towards an idol. Take care that you have nothing to do with an idol. Now this phrase is not found anywhere else in the New Testament. This idea of idol of, uh, uh, is a phantom. It is anything that occupies the place due to God. Anything that we set our affections on and anything we indulge in an excessive way. 
Now, let me show you a little video that opens you up to my world and one of my hobbies, something that I like a lot. And I want to talk to you about how the difference between enjoying something for fun and when it becomes an idol. Take a peek here. Why'd you quit? Can you play that again? How many duck, any duck hunters here? Let me see that appreciate the finer things of life. Well, you understand exactly what I'm talking about. If you'll get up at four o'clock in the morning and go out in the lake and hopefully nobody else is around you and these birds start flying around and coming in, which by the way, members of Church on the Rock do not shoot good ducks. We only shoot bad ducks. So animal lovers, don't worry about it. We'd only shoot bad ducks here at Church on the Rock. But there is just something about it that gets your blood flowing and you decoy them and you call and all those things that are involved with it. Now listen, it's something that's fun, that's enjoyable, but here's the deal. Hobbies are fun, but when they turn from fun into an obsession, an idol is born. Now let me say it again. Hobbies are fun, but when they turn from fun to an obsession, an idol is born. And an idol can slowly consume your affection. We say we love things. I love to duck hunt. Okay, okay now I thought I was supposed to love God, but I love to duck hunt. How about I love my phone? I have just enough OCD in me that my phone can be dangerous. And if I'm not careful, the first thing in my morning before I read my Bible and pray and spend time with God, if I'm not careful, come on. Everybody say Facebook and the news and the email. And, it, and maybe that's not a big deal to you. But I find that it bothers me. So I, I feel like something's wrong when I'm sitting with my Bible open and my, a text message comes to me and I ignore the Bible and I go to the text message. I feel like something is out of place in my life. Let me keep going. Hobbies are fun, but when fun turns into an obsession, an idol is born. And an idol will slowly consume our hearts. It will consume our thoughts. It will fill our calendar. And it will empty our bank account. And idols can be many. Sports and hobbies are certainly one. As I talked about duck hunting, it, around here it starts around Thanksgiving. It's about 45 to 60 days. It's over before you know it. You know, you go a few times. But for it to become an obsession, I want you to imagine they start duck hunting in Canada long before we do here. And something would be amiss if I find myself every year leaving the church and leaving my family and going to Canada. And after the Canada season is open, then that I make sure that I go in Minnesota and I hunt in Wisconsin. And then I hunt in Illinois and I hunt all the way down the Mississippi Flyway. And I get here and if my wife still happens to be here after a couple months, then I head further south into Mexico. And then I want to take the journey all the way down to Argentina for a different kind of duck. I have maxed out my credit card on bullets. I have filled Facebooks with, with my posts. But the only problem is I hadn't been to church in three months. I hadn't read my Bible in weeks. Come on now, because if you're getting up at four in the morning and you're tired and you have breakfast, you need a nap. And then you need to go out and you need to pursue it again after lunch. And before you know it, what was fun turned into an obsession that's controlling your life. And an obsession squeezes God out. 
And that's where my concern is. That's where I see an idol becoming dangerous when God gets squeezed out of our life. Now, let me be clear. God is for hobbies and God is for fun. Everybody say, praise the Lord. But it's when it defines me and controls me, when it's all I want to do and all I think about. Anybody, have you ever been there? Five percent are telling the truth today. I, listen, I tell you, we struggle with, I struggle with it. Idols can define your life. They can control you. Uh, and idols can be uh, along a variety of different things. Pastor Mike loves old cars, and he's not here, so I'm going to talk about him. Me, give me something new that runs and is great, and I don't want to fool with anything. But you give him an old car, the older the better. If it's leaking oil, he just has a fit. He gets so excited because he wants to fix it. And I mean, there's a subculture of those crazy, I mean, there's a subculture of, of, of those car enthusiasts in the world, and I don't understand it a bit. But I can tell you, the difference, though, between using your passion for God, we have car shows out here once a year. It's totally his doing. While we're having church in here, he's having a church service out with that, with that car show, and people are getting saved that would never come in the church. I mean, they've got little groups. They'll have life groups that form around cars, and they'll get together and pray and have a Bible study. When that's over, they'll dig into the car. So in some way, our hobbies can be integrated. Come on, but God in them. But the problem is, if you get God squeezed out, you have a problem. And the scripture says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. And they are as much a modern-day idol as the golden calf. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. And I wish I could tell you exactly how many days you could duck hunt and not be idolatrous. Just like I can't tell you ladies how, where your dress needs to hit for you to be modest and where it's immodest. These are issues of the heart, and these are things that the Holy Spirit has to deal with us about. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, don't love this world. Isn't it interesting? Didn't the same Bible also tell us, love God with all your heart? But now it says, don't love the world. In other words, my passion, my desire, the things that I love to do, and I can't wait to get up and do it. Uh, I, I want more money so I can get more and do more and be more and have more of it. Listen, your, your job can be your idol. You can be in such a, 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 a pursuit of either money or either a sense of validation. You want to be the person that stands up in the, in the Rotary Club and they all clap their hands about. You want to be the one that gets the trophy on the ball field. All of these things are in life, and none of them may be bad, but when they consume us, they become an idol, and they'll affect our spiritual life. Listen to what 1 John says. Don't love this world or the thing it offers you, for when you love the world, you don't have the love of the Father in you. Which simply means I don't have the capacity to love God with all my heart and to love duck hunting with all my heart. I don't have the capacity to be able to do both, especially if you add turkey hunting in there. Look at verse 16. For the world, this is opposite from God, the world offers only a, a craving for physical pleasure. Now look, I like to have fun. I like, I'd much rather eat good food than bad food. But the cravings for pleasure could be an aversion to work. It could be a craving for sexual pleasure, a pornography. Uh, it, it could be maybe massages are your thing, and you want to get a massage twice a day, every day for the rest of your life and take all your money. But, but some, anything that makes you happy, if you're not careful, you can want it too much. 
a craving for everything we see, every camo pattern on the market. Come on, every, let's pick on Pastor Travis's hobby for a while. Every new softball bat that comes out there, every new style in the in the uh, in Dillard's, every new pair of shoes that they're sporting in People magazine. Y'all got so quiet on that. I would have figured I'd at least got something from the guys on that one. They can capture our heart. And the pride in our achievements and possessions, these are not from the Father, but they're from the world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Now look, let's talk just a moment about money and materialism. The love of things are a huge source of potential idolatry. Remember the story in Matthew 19 about the rich young ruler. This is not just a problem in America, but it's a problem throughout time. There was this young man, Matthew 19, and he came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, what do I have to do to have eternal life? Now, would you agree that there's nothing more important than eternal life? And Jesus asked him some questions. And then Jesus talked about some commandments about how he related to people. Five of the Ten Commandments, how he related to people. And he said something incredible. He said, I've obeyed these all my life. I couldn't say that. But then Jesus pierced into his heart because here's where idolatry starts. He said, there's one thing that you lack so you can live eternally. He said, I want you to take all your possessions and sell them. Then I want you to give the money to the poor and then come and follow me. Now, Jesus was, not, Jesus was not trying to be mean and take his stuff away from him. He just wanted to expose what was in his heart. And you know what that young man said? Actually, he didn't say anything. He dropped his head. He turned around and walked away. And Jesus said, how sad it is for those that have great possessions. This man loved his possessions more than he loved God. Now, let me be careful. Possessions are not wrong. If you've got some possessions you don't want, give them to me. I'll take them. I like stuff. Particularly if it's a hunting boat, a four-wheeler, or a gun, or something like that. I'd be glad to take it off your hands. Possessions are not wrong. It's when the possession captures our heart. It's when the possession becomes our passion. Y'all are quiet on me this morning. Materialism had captured his heart, and what he had was more important than God, and God was jealous. And when God sees me running off to Canada, neglecting my calling in my church, neglecting my family, spending all my money on a passion that will disappear, when God sees me doing that, God is just as jealous as if my wife came home and found me with a girl. God is a jealous God because he wants relationship. And that doesn't mean that he wants you to love your hobby less. It just means he wants you to love him more. The issue is not throw my hobby away so I love God or be punished because I can't go duck hunting as a Christian. No, it's just that God is first and foremost in my life and everything else find its perspective under that. Now, lest you believe materialism is not a problem, Colossians 3, 5, listen to what Paul said. Paul said, don't be greedy. I want you to say this with me. For a, a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Isn't that interesting? Now we're saying worshiping and worshiping. You know, I can worship my shotgun. I can worship my duck calling ability. I can worship uh, uh, my basketball team. I can worship the Cowboys. I, Nick can worship Mississippi State. I cannot tell you where you draw the line between your love for your school or your alma mater or your ball team and all the paraphernalia you, you, you collect. I can't tell you where to draw that line, but I can tell you, you can get sucked into things you can get sucked into something that appeals to you, and if you're not careful, it'll affect your relationship with God. Well, I may be talking to myself, but I know it's real. 
A greedy person is an idolater. I wonder if we had idols today that we named. I wonder if one idol's name might be more. I wonder if an idol's name might be bigger and better. See, it's, it's like things that everybody else is doing. I wonder sometimes if we worship fun. What do we ask people? And I'm guilty of this too. After church is over, I ask the kids, did you have fun in church today? Well, it's not bad, but don't we come to church to worship God? Did you have, did you have fun at work today? No, I hated it. Did you have fun at the ball game? No, we lost. Did you have fun at the game? Yeah, we won. But I wonder if even fun can become an idol. And please hear me. I'm not trying to rain on your parade. Let me give you a balance here. 1 Timothy 6, 17. It says, uh, command the rich in this present world, don't be arrogant or put their hope in wealth, which is uncertain. But listen to this. Put your hope in God who richly provides us with, with everything for our enjoyment. God richly provides everything. Now, does that sound like some stingy God that doesn't want, doesn't want you to have any fun? No. God is a God that wants to give to you just like as a good parent and grandparent wants to give gifts to their kids. I remember when I was a little boy, I was raised in a little small town in Mississippi, and uh, uh, my grandmother, we lived in the country, and it was a duplex, and my grandmother would take me to Coldwater to go shopping, and uh, it was a drugstore, it's about what was there. And I can remember when we would leave, my, my mother would tell my grandmother, don't you buy that boy anything, he doesn't need anything. Well, you know what my grandmother, as soon as we got in the car, she said, honey, don't worry about it. And we go into that drugstore, and I can remember, I guess it was called Lincoln Logs, but it was a round container, and you would, you, you would build like a little house, and you'd put a roof on it and stuff. I remember one time walking out of that drugstore. My, my grandmother even probably said, I'm not buying you anything today, but somehow I walked out with that Lincoln Log, and my grandmother, and it was one way she showed her love, is we want to make our kids happy. You know God is the same way. If you're able to buy a new car or build a new house or buy a new pair of shoes or, you know, go on a cruise or something, if you need somebody to go, I'll be the chaplain. But, but I mean, you know, if you can buy a place to duck hunt, whatever the case is, God wants to give us things in life. He's a good father, and the Bible says he gives us things to enjoy. So listen, you, uh, you don't need to feel guilty, and in no way do I want you to feel condemned. But what I do want to clearly tell you is at some point, your enjoyment can begin to consume you. And when it consumes you, it becomes an idol. And when it becomes an idol, God is jealous of that thing that he gave you for good. Now it's something that is harming you. I'm preaching a little better than you're amening today. Let me read you a little funny letter here. It's a, it's a husband who happened to be a hunter. He wrote to a newspaper columnist. And he said, my wife charges that I'm so obsessed with the sport of hunting, it's outright ridiculous. Not only does she not want to hear the word hunt or hunting anymore, but this past week, she laid down some restrictions that would forbid the wearing of camo when we went shopping or visiting family members. The audacity. Well, I could live with that. But then she told me I had to stop blowing my duck call while I was inside the supermarket, and I was fuming. Her latest comment sounded somewhat like this. She said, it's sad. You're a very sick man. Well, I would say he's not sick, but he may have given birth to an idol. Now, I wanted to make you a little uncomfortable today because I'm not going to tell you, I presume to tell you, how many pairs of camo you can have. 
I'm not going to presume to tell you whether it's biblical to have, to have new camo every year or not, but I'm telling you, we can cross a line. I asked my, told my wife I was preaching about this, and I asked her, uh, she's in Mexico, so I can talk about her too. I said, Linnell, what are your idols? She said, I'm not telling you. But she quickly said, what are your idols, honey? And I said, well, I don't think I have any right now. But I said, my duck hunting, my turkey hunting, my yard, my garden, my talk radio, my TV, my cell phone, all of these things could consume me. And all of them could squeeze God out. If I get too many Facebook posts, come on, it's going to cut into my prayer time. If I get... If, I, if the news stories are too heated over Ebola, it's going to cut into my Bible reading time. Can I tell you, if the tournament's going on and it happens to be on Sunday and I'm the number four, are you with me today? Now, I'm not saying don't play ball on... You can't raise kids in America because they're going to play ball on Sunday, come on Wednesday, every other day of the week. But you've got to figure some way when that kid's playing ball that you've got to have church. Come on and look at it as an outreach opportunity. I mean, I raised a son, and I let him play ball on Sundays, but I made sure I did everything I can to get him in church at another time, make sure he's reading his Bible, come on, and trying to get him to be the influencer on the field, say, let's bow and pray. I mean, so we live in a, a, a world that is difficult. Let me give you what I would suggest is perhaps uh, some specific concerns about if you happen to have an idol in your life. If you can't quote a Bible verse, but you can quote the batting average of every person in the World Series you may have a problem. You may have the newest camo pattern every year, but if you can't afford to help a missionary, you have a problem. If you rarely read your Bible, but every day you read your hunting blog, come on, your house decorating blog, your, your business blog, your blah, 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 blog, but you don't have time to read your Bible, you may have a problem. If you don't, if whatever your hobby's going, if season starts in Canada and you don't go to church for a couple months because of the duck season, you may have an idol in your life. It's out there and it's real. Idols squeeze the life of God out of us. Idolatry is a sign of the end times. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1. In the last days will come times of difficulty. That's a a lengthy verse, and I'm not going to read all of it, but let me read three things from these verses. He said, in the last days, people will be... Come on, when I do this, that doesn't mean I'm hard hearing. That means I want you to say what it says. In the last days, people will be... Now, now mind you, we're supposed to be lovers of God, lovers of self, lovers of money, and lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. So this is how it works. Would you say we're in the last days? So would you say this temptation is all around us every day of our life? So somehow we as Christians, we want to live a life where we have fun with our hobbies, where we pursue things that challenge us, but we never lose sight of God in the middle of it. We never let God get on the sidelines and say, oops, it's been a week since I read my Bible. Oops, it's been a few days since I prayed. We want to make sure that our life is built around Him. Because if you love God, if you love things more than God, He gets jealous. And I might be able to run away from my wife because she doesn't like guns and she can't throw a knife. I might be able to run away from her if she was jealous of somebody I was with, but I can never run away from God. Let me close this morning. Did you get anything out of this today? All right. 
God is jealous because he loves us, and he wants us to love him more than anything else. Mark chapter 12, 28, it's a, a familiar verse, but I'll read it to you. Jesus was asked by a man, what commandment in the Bible is the most important one of all? Now, mind you, this is my uh, Spirit-filled Life Study Bible, my favorite of all time. It's got over 1,800 pages of Bible and commentary. He's referring specifically to the Old Testament, so the Old Testament had probably 1,200, oh, it's probably got 1,300 in the Old Testament. So what he's saying is, of these 1,300 pages, Jesus, could you pick out one verse that's more important than any other one so I can live my life by? And here's what Jesus said. The most important commandment is this. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And here it is. You shall love the Lord. Say it with me. Your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Christianity is more than rules, more than going to church. Christianity is about a relationship with God. Come on, give him a big hand today. He's worthy of our praise. Why don't you stand to your feet and we're just going to have a God moment. I, I, I sure hope you'll join us out in the park for some fun, get some chili and hang out with people. I sure hope uh, you, you'll, you'll tune in tonight. Istandsunday.com. Istandsunday. Six o'clock. It's about an hour and a half. Check that out. But right now, could we just ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us? What is God saying to you about your life? Simply say yes. Just bow your heads as he sings, and we just want to make a place for God to punctuate some things this morning. Slip your hands to heaven. Oh, how he loves us. bowed my head to prayer, I, 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 I thought of two men in America who had to make a big choice of something that could have been an idol. The Benham Brothers, maybe you've heard about them, they had an HG uh, TV show. They were flipping houses, and I heard their testimony the other day, they'd, they'd sold, flipped 20,000 houses in a decade. These guys, you know they're rich and at the top of their game, and now they're going to put them on television. What they said was, we're not, gonna, we're not going to uh, violate our Christian convictions no matter what you offer us. And lo and behold, they made a, a, a stand about morality. And the guy said that we were faced with a decision. Am I going to put God first or am I going to put this ambition first, this dream, this identity? And he said, it wasn't a hard one for me. 
I said, I'm for Jesus all the way. And sometimes idols just want to pull us to a place that we don't want to end up. I want to end up in the hand of God. I want to walk side by side with my Savior. I want to enjoy every good thing He allows for me. But I don't want anything to capture my heart. Won't you just pray that prayer to the Lord right now? Say, Lord, I don't want anything to be between us. I don't want you to be jealous of me. I don't want anything to be more important than you. And I want you to give God the right to make some changes in your life right now. Otherwise, it's just been a sermon. Give the Holy Spirit the right to make some changes. Ask God to point things out to you in the days ahead. Ask God to give you some courage so you don't walk away like that rich young ruler did, but you, you stay with Jesus. Praise your Lord. I want to close this way, a personal opportunity for prayer. In just a second, we're going to have our prayer team come forwards. And if you have any need in your life, any struggles, listen, I wouldn't leave this place without prayer. Everybody needs prayer. I need it every day, all the time. But maybe there's something that's really a priority in your life you need God to help you with. We're going to make time for that at the end of the service. But I want to ask this one question before I go. It's about your personal relationship with Christ. Remember when we had communion a few minutes ago and I, I asked you to go back to that time in your life when you were saved. Go back to that time in life when you made a decision to follow Jesus and your life changed. Now, I can remember shaking the preacher's hand and I can remember answering an altar call. But how many know coming to church and shaking the preacher's hand don't make you a Christian? What makes you a Christian is when you turn your life to follow Jesus. And maybe you couldn't remember when that time was. For me, it was August 15, 1976. I was radically worldly and I became radically saved. My wife was raised in a Christian home. She never went into the world. She said somewhere when I was seven or eight or something, I, I, I remember I committed my life to the Lord. But do you have that memory in your life when you committed your life to Jesus? Because if not, it can be today. See, you need what all of us need. We need God's forgiveness. We need God's assurance of eternal life. But we have to answer Christ's call to follow me. And I wonder if you're here today and if you'd like to put your trust in Christ, if you'd like to receive God's forgiveness, have God's assurance of eternal life, and you want to begin to follow Jesus today, give Him your life. If that's you, I want to pray with you. It may be the first time you've ever prayed this way, or, or maybe you've walked away from God, but today you're drawn to God and you want to come back. Let us pray for you and help you. But if that's you today and you say, Pastor, I want to get my life right with God, pray for me this morning. Would you just lift your hand real quickly so I know who you are? Say, pray for me, Pastor. I want to put my trust in Christ today. Pray for me. God bless you. God bless you. Somebody else. I can't see you. Anybody else? Say, pray for me. I want to put my trust in Christ. These lights are in my eyes. Yeah, God bless you too, dear. God bless you too. Come on, give him a big hand. There's somebody in the back. God bless you. God bless you. I see your hand. Say, pray for me. I want to put my trust in Christ today. I want to walk with Jesus. You that lifted your hand, come on up right now. Give them a big hand as they're coming. You that lifted your hand, come on up. We're going to pray with you. There's going to be somebody here to, to meet you as you're putting your trust in Christ. Come on, give this young man a big hand today. Putting your trust in Christ, walking with God. Come on, you that lifted your hands. We're going to pray with you right now. Somebody's going to stand with you as you're turning your heart towards God. Listen, somebody's going to be with you today. I need some ladies that are coming right behind you. I want you all to go right over here to the cross. They're going to talk with you. They're going to pray with you. We're very, very proud of you. Yeah, just walk right over to the cross there. Our prayer team is coming to the altar right now. We'll sing one time and dismiss. You need prayer for anything. Our prayer team is coming now. And if you want them to pray for you, just come on up here and somebody will stand with you and pray for you. I love you very much. See you out at the park. And don't forget, I stand Sunday.
And if you want to join the church, slip over right afterwards in the connect room.